2: All right, welcome on to a first-time guest, but someone that I've known for a while here. We were just reminiscing before we started that we were last in touch personally at the Tulane Sports Law Conference back in the Halcyon days of late February 2020. (laughs) Uh, But since then, things have happened. Jake Fisher has been doing a lot of writing for Bleacher Report, had One of the more prescient free agent columns that I can ever remember, actually, you pretty much nailed half of the signings on, and and really, you know, it must have just taken foresight because nobody would ever agree ahead of time, but you nailed half the free agent signings on, you know, July 29th or whatever it was uh, of 2021. Also, the author of Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. How you doing, man?
3: I'm doing well. Thank you so much for that kind introduction. I appreciate it. How are you doing?
2: Yeah uh i'm I'm doing well too and i'm excited to talk about the trade deadline with you especially because your reporting has been so awesome and i expect that you'll spoil all of your columns here with (laughs) us
3: i honestly i have a column coming out on thursday and when we like we booked this a week or two ago whatever it was and i was like oh that's gonna be tough but we'll we'll make it work we'll we'll provide some (laughs) provide some goods for my bosses it'll it'll work out
2: so why, I, I wanted to start by asking this though, and you, you wrote about in your book about the Sixers and their tanking and then the changes that that engendered and probably what might have been thought when you were writing that book was, all right, well, things are changed. It's totally different now. Uh, nobody's going to be able to do this again. It, the new lottery rules won't make us profitable to do this again. And then we see what the Oklahoma City Thunder have done over the last really almost a three year period. So why isn't Sam Presti, in your opinion, getting all the same crap that Sam Hinkie was getting, other than the fact that he has really nice glasses?
3: <laughs> he does have nice glasses. Um, I, I'll say, you know, Sam Presti is ironically kind of the godfather of the tanking era that I captured in my book, being that, I mean, the Thunder's success from getting KD, Russ, and Harden in three straight drafts between 07 and 09, and they leapt right to the finals in 2012, which maybe is what you know Memphis will do coming up here with Jaw and their core. Like That type of strategy um, was something that I think all these analytical-minded executives, like Rob Hennigan, who the magic poach from Presti's front office in Oklahoma City, wanted to do after moving Dwight Howard. Like Hinky wanted to do in Philly, um, moving Drew Holiday. Boston people forget, traded KG and Paul Pierce the same night of this of the 2013 draft that hanky traded Drew Holiday, Ryan McDonough got hired that same offseason cycle in Phoenix, and you know they moved Steve Nash, and they also got like two more first round picks. Remember they traded Marcin Gortat to the Wizards for Emeka Okafor, who had like a herniated back disc that he was going to be out the whole year. It was like a moment that tanking was a thing, and the Sixers were. The biggest market of those of that group that continued to do it year after year after year, right? When this was out of the lockout, when the new revenue sharing. Uh, process and strategy whatever you want to uh, label it was was in in play and the league and other teams around the league were looking to the Sixers to pay into that revenue sharing system just like the Knicks do every year because they sell out every single game but the Sixers were kind of this black eye on the league from that one standpoint from ownership's perspective from the league office's perspective where you flash forward to this year and 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 even the last couple years with OKC last season, like you just talked about at the jump with your intro of us last seeing each other before COVID, there were no fans in the stands to complain all of last season about the Thunder's job and how that was hurting gate revenue and stuff like that, but also the Thunder in Oklahoma city. And I don't think it's this big, you know, travesty to the old school basketball PhD fan where winning is everything. When the Thunder don't have some storied history, like the Sixers of, going to the Eastern Conference Finals against Boston in the 80s and stuff like that. And the AI years and having this type of, I mean, the Sixers build themselves as having the third most postseason wins in in league history. So they're not a banner franchise. They're obviously in the sleepiest, smallest of markets in in the whole league. And I think no one can really fault them for the strategy being that there is no other real way to get, stars to come to OKC at a certain point. Yes. Like I am curious to see how long their leash will be and how long until there's potential more. I mean, there's definitely like this new um, collective bargaining that's going to be coming up here in 2022 Um, at the end of this year, both sides have options to pull out. Like maybe the league will mention, um, you know, limiting how many picks you can even acquire. That's something I've heard being thrown around. So we'll see how long, the Thunder can quote-unquote get away with this. But I think those are all the factors why Pressy's kind of flown more under the radar compared to Hinky.
2: No, I, I think that makes sense, and I'll add a few uh, myself. Well, number one, just to react to something you said at the beginning there, yeah, it's worth noting that in that 12-13 frame that there were a bunch of teams that in theory were pursuing the same strategy. The problem was they just all fucked it up. Right? <laughs> like, yeah. Brian McDonough, they won 48 games. And I, I think how, how differently might his tenure have gone he in theory had permission from sarver to really rebuild after the Mm -hmm. nash era and then they won 48 games and then it was like all right let's try to build up from here that failed and then then they started having to go back back down and obviously they built it back up with with some of the players that he acquired he had many a misstep obviously also and then Mm -hmm. obviously ron rob Hedigan it didn't go too well for him in orlando but neither of those teams particularly orlando didn't really acquire the they didn't really tear it down also philly actually had some guys that they could tear it down with at the start which the magic didn't really after the dwight era so but that is interesting that there are other teams that were trying it and just didn't do as good of a job and then the other thing i would say too that really killed the optics for hinky was it wasn't just that they were rebuilding i think fans can understand that it was that they fair, uh, fair or not. There was more of a perception with him that it was really overtly about losing. Yes. And that even within that season, you couldn't win too many games. And so what contributed to that? Number one, they traded away a guy who had a young player who was just starting his contract, his rookie extension, Drew who had made the all-star team. And then they drafted all these guys who were injured, right? OKC hasn't drafted guys who were injured. And the thinking was, oh, we're intentionally drafting guys who are injured so that we'll continue to lose. When in reality, that was no. Let's get the Nerlens Noel and Embiid are the highest upside guys yes. available here. And uh, and then you also, I thought the thing, obviously the Okafor thing was was a big problem at the end. But the thing that really drove people crazy was the Carter Williams trade. I think that was the one. And you were in Philly, maybe you can speak on this more. But <laughs> that was the one where it was like, we just got the rookie of the year. Awesome. Oh, but Sam, we he's winning too many games now. We can't, even the Rookie of the Year, the whole point of this rebuild is to get these young guys then this yeah. Rookie of the Year we're trading away. Again, great trade. Michael Carter-Williams wasn't any good. His Rookie of the Year campaign was really just a complete fluke. So great idea to trade him. But it just, the optics of draft trading away Drew and those guys, drafting the injured guys, and then the Carter-Williams trade, that ended up being too much, I think, for, for everyone.
3: Yeah. No, I think... Part of why I wanted to work on the book was the lasting ramifications that came from it in terms of the lottery form and the play-in tournament, which clearly have impacted the league today, being that we only are really seeing a couple of teams tanking, and pretty much everyone else has either designs or goals or a hope that they can make this play-in tournament conversation, and it's impacting this trade market that we're going to talk about in a little bit, and it did last year too, but also, like, generally... The last decade, and that you know that that tanking era from 2013 to 2019, if you will, the the Zion draft, which was the first draft of the new. Lottery odds, like it came with this groundswell of new age executives. we like, we talk more about team building. The average fan in a bar talks more about team building than they did five to ten years ago. They just do, and, and there's more literacy amongst everybody in, in the NBA ecosystem about you know draft prep protections and CBA knowledge and stuff like that. We all pale in comparison to you, Nate. But like, there's <laughs> definitely, um you know, I I think that's part of like why I've even been able to you know, do some of the reporting I've done the last year and a half or so is that there's just like younger people in the league who are focused more on, or are getting empowered to do, you know, a lot of analytical work and ahead of trades and teams are projecting two years out in advance that like, there's people that I'm having conversations with that are involved in these team decision makings that wouldn't have been a decade ago, you know? So I think that's also just kind of an overall theme to that book and that time period as well being that like now... The, the, the moves that get made around the edges this like the fact that serge abaca getting traded in theory in the next couple of weeks here would save the clippers 40 million dollars like those types of decisions weren't really being highlighted and dis- or even made by smart teams back then because there weren't as many people empowered in those teams to to be thinking along those lines
2: so let's get into that to uh, the reporting here and i want to start just with a general discussion of the trade market it seems now maybe we've finally gotten past the crisis with covid fewer players are in the health and safety protocols there's at least a rhythm to this whole hardship exception economy now everyone knows who the good players are there you're not just signing guys off the g league at center court in the middle of games at the showcase so teams are able to start now locking in a little bit on some trade discussions so how are you feeling about the general trade market going into the february 10th deadline and what are some of the factors that are determining teams thinking in a macro sense
3: yeah it it has been quiet the last two weeks or so to your point with everyone being so focused on literally filling out enough eight-man rosters you know to 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 all these guys in health and safety protocols but we're recording this on Tuesday and the last two days I've been on the phone. There's been a ton more floating around. I think um, there's been names that have really solidified like Jeremy Grant, I think is really like the, the grand prize if you will of this deadline so far in terms of guys who are like very much available, very gettable and could have a real impact on a team ceiling here. But I think the other aspect is like, we're still have a lot of teams. Like I talked about, I think the last answer I just gave you Um there's so many teams that are still in the muck of that playing tournament conversation that we're going to see the Pelicans and the Kings and um, the Pacers and the Knicks and the Hawks, like all those teams that are still out of the, out of the playing tournament. Even there are only a couple games and a couple injuries going a certain way, blah, 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 from convincing themselves that they can make a run for that eight seed. Right. So I think we might still see, a lot of teams hold their chips until we get to February and the week of the deadline. But I, I do think we'll see a lot of flurry of activity being that there's a lot of small moves to be made. And also, there's not a lot of teams with cap space heading into into next summer. You, you know that off the top of your head better than I do. But sure. I think we're going to see a ton of teams try to get guys now to get their bird rights and to be able to make a play at them. Somewhat like, like Mo Bama, for example, in Orlando, I was just talking to somebody about before we got on this call, like for a team that wants to make a run at him and for agency next summer to get him right now. And like that, like that type of concept or TJ Warren in Indiana, um, like we'll see a lot of those types of deals as those too. And maybe the fact that there isn't a lot of cap space of coming, we could see something like a point guard traded for a center or a big man traded for a shooter. Those types of deals that you know, the Lakers are probably limited to being that they only have guys on minimums outside of Taylor Horton Tucker and Kendrick Nunn to, uh, to make moves with like I I think I think there's gonna be a large variety of trades but not really that big marquee domino name to fall outside of Jeremy Grant Miles Turner those types of guys I
2: would consider those guys to to be pretty important like those are guys who if they get on the right team could really change what happens in the playoffs. So I think sure. if those two guys get traded, I would consider that to be more impactful than a lot of deadlines in years past. And, and it's very rare that the true superstar gets traded yes. at the deadline. It seems like that's usually more of an offseason thing when there's just generally more flexibility and you just have more teams that can potentially get involved. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct to consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one size fits all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then girlfriend, now wife, And I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz. And we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Every sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences. Hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz. Find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. but to your point here about there not being that many sellers in the east you've really only got two teams that i would say are out of it the pistons and the magic even the pacers at 11 games under 500 there are five games out of the 10th seed Mm -hmm. right now but they also have been really unlucky they've had a bunch of injuries as well and they also generally don't have the ethos of missing the playoffs and and leaning into things and then in the west A lot of these teams are bad, but it so happens that the 10th seed, which is the Blazers right now at 16 and 24, you've still got everybody except for Houston being within two and a half games of the 10th seed because there's a big difference between the ninth and the 10th seed right now. So that could spur some of these teams to stay And I wouldn't expect the Thunder, obviously, to quote unquote go for it. But yeah, you mentioned the Kings, the Pels. That I mean, do you really think that those teams are going to make win now moves? Is is that a possibility that, given where they are right now, they would do that?
3: I do think that's the goal. I think Portland. Well, my educated guess at this point is that Portland probably will shift more into seller mode, right? But I think their their overall goal at this juncture and has. I mean, this is something I'm going to write a little bit more on. um, Like Dame's injury is kind of looming over that whole dynamic, but. Yeah. I think the Blazers would ideally be able to like the the Blazers and 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 the Pacers make sense as natural trade partners, being that both those teams seem to have a need to reshuffle the roster, but a goal at competing. Um, so, like, I, I I would I would also like Robert Covington is going to be an easy piece to sell. Um, like like he's not the guy that they traded the two first round picks for, but he's still got value as someone who can guard across multiple positions, and the three point shot is still there when he's hot. Like, there's going to be a market for him. But yeah, the Kings, the Pelicans, the the Pacers, the Knicks, like all these teams all want and have expectations. And in, in certain situations, compared to others, like Sacramento hasn't made the playoffs in God knows how long, and they have absolute expectations from ownership to do so. Same with David Griffin and the Pelicans. Like, for a lot of these situations, making the playoffs is not just a goal, but like kind of a requirement from ownership too. So the,
2: as, the playoffs or the play in
3: the play in and or,
2: or is, yeah,
3: that's kind of the thing. Like the play in tournament has bastardized these postseason expectation, you know, situations from up top. Like you can sell yourself on getting like, especially if you're, if, if you're the, uh, I forget how, it works. if you're the nine seed, you host a, a game. Is that what it is? Right?
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You nine and ten play each other, seven and eight play each other, winner of the or loser of the first game plays winner of the second game.
3: So if you're the nine seed and you and you can host a game on your court, like that's even like something that can be sold up top as like a momentous thing to have accomplished. So I, I don't I don't necessarily think like me personally sitting here in my chair in Brooklyn, like I don't think that really changes the outcome of you know, a team season making the nine seed and not making the playoffs. But I think, I think we are in a new reality where being in that conversation has kind of given executives, coaches a bit more runway. Yeah,
2: yeah and I think, you know, to me, that's what makes making the decision, which perhaps the Blazers, well, as you mentioned there, it could be in sell mode. But going the other direction at this point is very powerful, right? Even the Raptors who were had about a positive net rating for most of last year, even with all the Tampa crap that they were going through, they made a conscious decision to kind of shut things down, which they weren't even playing in their home market. Like, that, that surely made it easier. But Messiah Ujiri said, like, I don't care about no playing. And so they got the seventh seed in the lottery. They bumped up. They got Scotty Barnes. And now their future is much brighter. And that I would have thought could be an example to some of these other teams. We'll see whether that's Portland or mm-hmm. are, are there any teams other than Portland that you think might go that direction of just, all right, this is reality here. We don't really care about the 10th seed. Anyway, we'll get the obliterated in the play-in. not to mention if we ever made it into the playoffs and got destroyed in the first round, they would just say, Hey, let, let's, let's zig when everyone else is zagging.
3: Yeah, it's, it's possible. Um, I mean, the Spurs are a team that never really makes calls, right? Like, No, they very rarely make outgoing calls to try to turn up conversation with other teams. They take, they take calls. They're happy to talk about anybody. Um, And and teams have been curious for a while if they'll ever actually kind of, Pull the plug and they've got Thad Young that they can trade, and um Derek White's name pops up, and Lonnie Walker's name pops up, and Yaka Pertle's name pops up, but no one really I mean it's Spurs. So no one really has like a strong sense on what they're going to do, but it's it's possible. I mean, they don't really have the guy right now, right? Like DeJounte's taken some big strides, and obviously Kelvin Johnson's a favorite of Greg Popovich. We saw the whole team USA run he had this summer, but they don't have that Scotty Barnes like you're talking about. But the other thing is also oh, like last year's draft class was considered to be one of the best draft classes of all time, like full of multiple hall of famers, like 2003 yep. draft class type of, of hype was surrounding this group. And this year's class, while there's, you know, Apollo and Jabbar Smith and Chet and people are seeming to get more excited about John Davis at Wisconsin. Like, it's not really considered to be, if you just get a top five pick here, like you're going to get a guy and be fine. So I don't, maybe that's playing a factor in it too, but I also just think, it's. I mean, the Clippers are a team that I'm, I'm writing about this for tomorrow. They don't have their own pick, but the, I could see them also maybe selling some guys and then just going into playing most of their younger core, um, especially if Jason Preston can come back from whatever foot surgery. I don't. I don't know off top of my head how severe that recovery timetable was, but Keon John. Yeah,
2: I, I actually Law, Law Murray posted something today where he was kind of out on the court. Moving around at least a little bit, but I it didn't seem like I I mean he's I would say minimum a a month away if not longer than that
3: for sure. So outside of those two teams, like every team in the East besides Detroit and Orlando, they're trying to take a step forward, and I think the same thing goes in the West. And I think it's all also a big. I talked about this a lot last summer, but I think we're still kind of in a hangover effect from the Chris Paul Drew Holiday situations in Milwaukee and Phoenix where. A lot of these teams think they're just one move away from whether it's getting to that championship goal like those teams were or just, you know, one piece away. Like, if you're Minnesota, right, the Timberwolves are one power forward away, they think, from being, you know, a real playoff team in the West. Like, can they go and get Jeremy Grant? Can they go and get, you know, a Miles Turner to slide Cat down to the floor, that type of stuff. Um, like, they're going to look far... Wait, long-
2: hold on, let me, let me separate Really, so that's... Yeah, you know, there have been some interesting destinations floated around for miles turner yeah like dallas and in uh in minnesota where you're like don't they already have a center and i was like well would they treat porzingis for Turner when that report came out yesterday which you know th- that might make a little sense i don't know but yeah, yeah so really pairing miles Tur- what ultimate irony it would be <laughs> that miles turner gets they finally break up Sabonis and Turner and then Turner goes traded to another team where he plays next to a center the whole time.
3: Yeah, no, it's very ironic. Yes. But you know, there's, there's, there's definitely people within the Timberwolves, let's say who are bullish on cat as a four man versus a five. I think it's something that they're willing to explore. I don't know if they're like Uh,
2: offensively. Sure. Yeah. So, but I mean, so that'll be if, Carl is guarding fours though, because having Miles Turner guard fours is kind of a waste of his skills. Yeah. I would.
3: Put. Yeah, again, not it's it's not a perfect fit on paper, but like no, they're 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 mostly and they have been centered on looking at power forwards for two years now, dating back to the twenty twenty right. draft, and they and they, and they were very close to getting PJ Tucker before that whole James Harden saga blew up, um back in the twenty twenty draft. Like they've been looking for those types of guys. I mean, they just got to upgrade. On Jared Vanderbilt, you know, like n- n- no no shots at Jared Vanderbilt, but he should theoretically be a pre replacement level type starter in this league, you know. So he
2: he's a very good defensive player. Yes, but it would be nice if they had a little bit more versatility offensively at that position. I mean, now worth noting that they that starting lineup has like a 50 net rating so wolves fans are gonna are gonna get pissed at us if we don't mention that but yeah i i do think it would be possible to upgrade there and he he would kind of fits more as an energy bench
3: yeah but so that's just to say like there's so many teams like that who just think they're one piece away one backup guard one whatever from cementing themselves as that that next tier that they're trying to accomplish so i think that's also like an undercurrent throughout all this thinking that we're just for one piece, like it, it's it's like an elusive thing that feels so close, even though it can be so far away.
2: So we talked about Turner and, and Jeremy Grant. Obviously, Ben Simmons is out there. We'll hit on him more in a second here. But any other names that are just coming up as guys that you think are good enough where, hey, this, this guy is going to be in the rotation or maybe starting for a quality playoff team, that level of player like a Turner or a Grant. Anyone else that, that's out there? that it is kind of deemed to be available
3: that good probably not i mean the next tier of yeah. guys is like the harrison barnes of the world and terrence ross and, and eric gordon and gary harris's name came back up today pj washington charlotte potentially like those types of names
2: um yeah i mean there there are some people who might i bet you some teams might prefer barnes to maybe maybe you might know better than i do but i just in terms of what they're looking for at that four position, they're looking for kind of more of a yeah a shooter than a, a guy who's going to move his feet defensively on the perimeter. But yeah, uh, yeah, Barnes is so. Uh, do you get the impression that because because again the the he's Harrison Barnes might be the King's best player <laughs> this year so far, and okay. so if they're actually trying to get better for this year, you would think they wouldn't move Barnes. But you get the impression he may be available.
3: I mean, I haven't. Uh, heard a single person of late like push back on the fact that the Kings are not ready and willing to talk about everybody, like they're not trying to shop yeah. these guys, but and it would take a lot to get De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton. But like, I think, I think they're at a point where and the team's 16 to 27, like as talented as De'Aaron Fox is, as talented as Tyrese Halliburton is, like as talented as a lot of guys in that roster are, it hasn't uh produced a winning situation. So, like at a certain point, They have to be open to having these conversations. So um, I think they're going to be willing and able and active. Like if the Kings swung three deals where like one deal is selling Harrison Barnes, but another deal is like a lateral, you know, we swap Marvin Bagley for another down in the dumps lottery pick. And then an, another move is they're buying to get better. Like that wouldn't all like none of that would surprise me. You know what I mean? If they did a series of things that were kind of even like conflicting agendas, because they have a mismatched roster. Like Tristan Thompson is a piece they could theoretically sell to some team that needs a reserve big man. You know, so they could go in a number of di- a number of different directions at the same time. I really do think so.
2: Yeah, that so. There isn't really a cohesive plan in Sacramento, is that?
3: <laughs> I don't want to say it like that. I I feel like no, no. Pretty- I,
2: I I realize that, but I I, I can say it. I, you're you're not going to say yeah, it, I, yeah. I I think it's yeah. I'm just I'm not sure because if those sorts of trades that you're talking about occur, those are not the kinds of trades that usually happen at the dead deadline, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's a team trading a veteran like Eric Gordon to get some draft picks or something like that, right? You're generally trading present assets for future assets because your team isn't going anywhere that's your most common deadline trade in addition to just the purely financially focused ones and but if the idea is yeah we don't really like these players so but they're all pretty young still so i guess let's just trade them for some other young players and a challenge trade and yeah we'll trade harrison barnes we got to get back someone who helps us rather than just getting future assets that all it's just really hard to pull off you know
3: yeah, no, I agree. I mean, and I also want to say that over the last 2 weeks when I've been making calls, like King's people are the ones who seem to be in meetings the most. Um that could be completely just by when I call people and the time of day, by sheer sure random luck. Um but like I feel like they're they're taking, I mean, I don't think they don't have a plan. I just think they could go a various degree of avenues where like they have a mismatch a mismatch roster. I can't talk right now um, where like they have the holdovers from previous regimes. There's been three different regimes there the last five years, you know, and different draft picks and different types of players. I mean, they were very close to moving buddy obviously with the Lakers. So, I mean, you would expect that he'd be someone that they would continue to move to. And he could be a piece that has a lot more value right on a contending team where his role is more defined versus being this. He's just, a a flamethrower but not that efficient with this three other three guards they have like that's kind of why i feel like they could go in very different paths at the same time because they just have different types of players and long different timelines on that on that crew of of, of players there
2: yeah i I guess that's true right and maybe that's more what you're trying to communicate is the idea that they they have a lot of options open to them and a a number of different plans that, that they might execute but And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code Capspace. Use our Capspace. We talk all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino, I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O, Indochino.com. And don't forget that Capspace code to let them know that you came from us. Uh, Let's talk Sixers here now. And the, the Ben Simmons thing, I just, especially as a, a longtime Billy watcher, just what's your opinion on how this whole thing has played out over the last, I guess it's been about eight months or so now, yeah, uh, seven months or so now that it just with the people involved and how, we, how we got to this point, like, what are your thoughts just on the general situation?
3: Yeah. I mean, I guess my general thoughts are that it's, it's unfortunate, you know, like, very talented 25-year-old, all NBA-caliber player. Um, A team that, obviously, and a fan base that, like we wrote about in my book, like spent years trying to get to this point where they were knocking on the door of contending for the title, and they were the number one seed in the East last year, and it was all kind of lining up perfectly. And then, you know, Daryl Morey is Daryl Morey. He tried and true was going to always be trying to mix and match and pair the best stars he can possible on the team that he's running. And I think the concept of Ben being put in that James Harden trade conversations back in a year ago, last January, the fact that he was pretty aware that Daryl made efforts to become closer with Joel when he first got there, just like he did with James Harden in Houston, like, Ben was not the guy. I think Ben, how the way it's been communicated to me, by people around him, like he wanted to be a guy, certainly. Maybe not necessarily the guy over Joel, but wanted to be a 1A and 1B type of player. I think he wants that in whatever situation he's going to go to next. And they played this game of cat and mouse for the last six months of, you know, we're going to do this and you're going to do that and you're not going to do this and we're not going to do that. But at the end of the day, both sides aren't getting aren't accepting that the other side is kind of holding firm here like the sixers are still hoping that after the trade deadline comes and goes maybe ben will come back and play but you know someone i talked to with clutch yesterday said not a chance ben's never going to play
2: why on earth would ben simmons yeah. do
3: that exactly but
2: the sixers especially cuz he's he's getting paid now too right like he really only ended up losing
3: exactly you know,
2: you know, I think exactly. less than a million bucks or close around there.
3: Exactly. So that doesn't help the Sixers in holding out You know, for this high asking price that they've maintained this whole time. And they've got Dame on their mind, and they, they have this James Harden possibility looming in their back pocket that I've written about before this summer, whether it's Harden opting in or Harden doing a sign-and-trade or whatever. I mean, they're hoping that Bradley Beal – I mean, Brad has pretty clearly um, indicated and the word's gotten – you know around the league i would say that he wants that fifth year that the that the wizards can give him um but who's to say that you know this team started off nine and two and they were all hunky dory and now they're right back at where are they i have the standings right in front of me they're the ninth seed at 20 and 20 like right now they would be in that playing tournament fighting for their lives all over again just like last year Yeah, you know?
2: and their point differential sucks too they actually have The 13th best point differential in the Eastern Conference, right? And
3: and they've come up a lot in Jeremy Grant situations, and uh, he's from the DMV area. Like that makes a lot of sense. But um, if they can't make a move and if the Wizards don't make a splash towards, uh, you know, getting back into that playoff picture, like who's to say Brad wouldn't request a trade? Coming up this off season, and and the Jalen and Jason stuff is obviously coming up every single day now. I don't expect anything to be remotely considered by Boston side of things this season, but you know if they flame out too, and maybe come the off season with you know Brad had his first full years being a GM under his belt, like maybe they come to terms with the fact that sure breaking up two two way wings that are all-stars under the age of 25 doesn't really make a ton of sense on paper but like the nba and roster building and team construction it's not 2k if two guys just play a very similar style and they end up butting heads a little bit of the time and they don't love playing together like maybe you can do a deal kind of like what the laker what the what the wizards did for russ but maybe of a higher magnitude being that jalen is what he is and Ross is what he is to kind of get some more pieces in or kind of come, what Denver did with Carmelo, like way back in the day. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's where, that's where Philly is coming from that. They really do think to all their critics out there saying, you know, you're going to waste a year of Joel and Embiid's prime. They really are operating from a position of, if they make a move now, that's lower than their asking price. If someone of the of their asking price caliber comes available in July, they're going to be kicking themselves, and they're actually will have wasted four years of Joel's prime to try to target this one year. But
2: I, yeah. I well, I, I mean, I think so. Th- this is the thing that, and I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, but I think that sounds great as long as Joel is on board. Yes, with that, and you mentioned that Daryl has the the relationship with him, and the Sixers, by the way, starting to play a lot better. I think they won like six or seven straight now. But and Joel himself is starting to play a lot better which in some ways actually puts more pressure on them to do something now i would say to not quote unquote waste this season uh particularly with nobody in the east looking like absolute world beaters at the moment but i mean do you think if this goes into the summer that joel is not gonna be pissed about it
3: yeah i mean the person i talked to with Philly yesterday made a very clear point in saying we were still aligned in our strategy from ownership to daryl to doc to joel so you're right these are all people we're always talking about, right? And they could wake up one day and decide to change their mind and think otherwise. And it's always a fluid situation, but for now, they're maintaining this united front that they're locked into doing so. It just, it is a matter of like, what point, like you're saying, what point will that come if they get to August, or the first day of free agency, whatever, you know, some, some nebulous point in the off season future and this Ben trade that they're hoping for has never materialized. Will that change? You know, maybe, but for now they, they they've, they're, they're, they're really projecting this United strong front. So
2: before you came out today and I would imagine that you're probably hearing the same, that they're trying to maybe include Tobias Harris in a deal like this. And I actually, to so me, cause I've always, I've been critical of their Simmons strategy. Because I just felt that they were massively overvaluing him. That Now, I've always been on the side of saying, hey, Ben Simmons is one of the most overrated players in the NBA for the last three years. And that he's on a contract where he's overpaid. And so you just can't expect to get that much for him. And so this idea of getting a star, particularly if there's not one available, is just not going to happen. Maybe it would happen in the offseason, but even that seems, you know, if they want to hold out for a 10% chance, that I understand that thinking, but I think it's also a 10% chance that they're really going to be able to trade Ben Simmons for a star. But if they could move on from Harris, who I think is, if not the original sin, one of the big sins in kind of getting Philly to this point where they are now, because it's just so hard to build around him. On both ends, as uh, either a power forward or a small forward, if they could move on from him and move Simmons and just get some, a ton of flexibility while also getting some future assets, like that actually would be pretty appealing to me as the Sixer.
3: Yeah, I hear you. It's, there's a ton of different avenues they could go, but they remain dead set on this patented Daryl Morris. So, patented. so
2: you, you don't, you don't think that that's a, a realistic option for them?
3: No, I, I think they're holding out for, uh, I mean, the the concessions that they would make are—I I don't know who these guys are. I've been trying to find out, but Shea Gildas yeah. Alexander type potential all stars are are guys that I think they would acquiesce for, you know, but they are holding out for a proven guy who's in Joel Embiid's timeline. Like to me, if I'm Daryl, I'm calling OKC and I'm offering picks with Ben to go get Shea because I think Shea is that good. And he's got the opportunity to not only play with Joel in this time period of Joel's prime and what have you, but he can also be your bridge to a next post-Joel time period. Like that to me makes a ton of sense but to, it still seems pretty clear their priorities to get somebody who can help Joel Embiid win right now like pretty from the jump like from from jump street
2: no uh, that makes sense to me and i think the the reason to me though simmons it's not even so much about ben simmons the player as it is a guy that teams would at least be interested in who makes this salary that they can trade it's not even so much about someone coveting ben simmons the player because i just don't and and maybe are are the if it were gonna be Bradley Beal, would the Wizards be interested in Ben Simmons coming back? I mean, I, I guess so, I don't know. But yeah. it, it seems like it's really more about that slot. And so the idea to me of if you move on from Harris and Ben is that then you just get the flexibility where you can take somebody into cap space or with expiring contracts, something like that, and you know, still give up all these young, young players and picks that it takes to make it happen. To me, it's like Ben Simmons, his talent. The player, he doesn't necessarily need to be the centerpiece so much as it's just with them capped out in the tax. They need somebody somebody to trade that isn't toxic.
3: Yeah. No, you're, you're right. Um, I don't know. I, I think to buy stuff that's come up, like they're, they're just, there's a lot of teams that do covet Ben. Like, they absolutely are. I mean, Indiana, yeah. Sacramento, and Minnesota, to name three. Like, they haven't gone away this whole time. They've always been there. They just don't yeah. have the pieces. But,
2: but none of those away. teams have the star.
3: Exactly. So, that's why Tobias's name comes up. Like, they're, from my understanding, there have been expanded conversations with those types of teams, with other teams, too. Like, even with Atlanta. Like, John Collins going back to the Sixers doesn't necessarily create like a roster, like a fluid, seamless fit with Tobias and other people. That's why Tobias' name is no, up. no, exactly. That's why Tobias' name has come up because most of the players that come back for Ben are four men or bigger wing type of pieces that the Sixers A don't have any interest in, or B it makes kind of Tobias's situation being objectively overpaid at that at that number um, for what his production is like more of an issue. So I think. Th- I Don't think they're shopping to buy us actively. I think they're just further exploring opportunities to make, um, you know, a, a Ben trade actually possible with both fit and a package and return back that they would like.
2: The other thing, the last thing on them is I think the emergence of Tyrese Maxey mm-hmm. only complicates these discussions. Now, it might help to include him with Ben if you wanted to get somebody really good, but it's also it makes the chances of a lower level trade for Simmons even less likely because, you know, I I'm CJ McCollum, they, that was never going to happen probably from Philly's perspective. But if, if you just indulge me, right? Tyrese Maxey, his emergence, they're like, okay, why would we trade for CJ now when maybe he's a slight upgrade on Maxey, but Maxey's part of our young core and he makes $3 million, whatever it is. And McCollum makes 30 and he's uh, in his 30s. So I think it's almost, now that they actually have at least something of a guy who can attack off the dribble at the guard position, which they never had before. Now that obvious need, yeah. it's not like you can just upgrade so easily at that position anymore, and so
3: that makes it more. And he's on a rookie contract with building around, right. in theory, Joel and, and Tobias' contracts, and whatever big money player you get back is a pretty nice piece out to have in this current uh, roster construction that they're dealing with.
2: Let's talk about some of the contenders now. I would say, as of now, the contenders are Miami, Brooklyn, Chicago, Milwaukee in the east. Chicago, we'll see. And then Golden State, Phoenix, and Utah in the west. Mm-hmm. Of those teams, which would you say uh, appear to be most champing at the bit to try to upgrade to boost their championship
3: odds? It's a good question. Um, the team that comes up the most is Phoenix. The Jazz... Um, have been chasing wing help dating back to the draft, but I just texted a couple people there today because I was watching their game with the Pistons last night. Like, they just stole yeah. the House for free. Uh, like that, that was a I, the Rockets had to make a move there to, um, the way I was explaining it to bring on Garrison Matthews to a, um, off of off of right. this two way deal. But like the fact that they didn't get a second round pick even for Daniel House is pretty. Was pretty surprising. Well, to
2: me. well, but then House House got. I mean, I think House just doesn't have any value because he signed a ten day hardship with the Knicks, and right. the Knicks, who by the way don't have a a, a pure three man who actually plays on their roster, didn't even choose right. to retain him. So he and also, you know, he's not exactly the highest character guy reputation at this point after what happened in the bubble. But yeah, uh, I mean. I understand Utah taking a flyer on him, but he really must be not in great shape physically or something to to where his value is that low that he's freely available.
3: Yeah. I'm curious as to why exactly, but I know the jazz are pretty thrilled to have him and as they should be. Yeah. Um, So I don't know how much that's going to impact there are further efforts to go get more wing help, but like they're definitely willing to attach Joe Ingles and a future first that comes in like 27 or 28 for something. Um, yeah. Like what that can get you. I don't know Like they would love to get Jeremy Grant. Right. But they're not in that market at all. Um,
2: yeah, Um I, I just don't think they have the scratch to go get him I, yeah. I would say
3: the sun's come up a ton in terms of, I mean, for various things they've got Jalen Smith to play with who they didn't pick up his, um, if this third year, if I'm remembering correctly, third the year, deal, yeah. which is like, you know, very unheard of for a top 10 pick and clearly signaled. I mean, they, they were starting him in, uh, summer league and in the preseason trying to see if they could get trade value back. And he's been playing well of late too. So maybe there's a deal there, but the, the Dario Saric contract with him being out for the year has been brought up a lot too. Um, they, they're the ones who who have been mentioned pretty much back to the preseason as being a contender looking to make moves. The Nets probably...
2: Well, well qu- quickly on them, what do they need? What do you think they're trying to upgrade? Because they're 1-8, through eight, they're 1-9. through nine, They're maybe the deepest team in the league, one of the deepest
3: yeah. teams, certainly. Um, and the names, I don't want to say too, too much right now because I don't have that much verified. They're mostly like rumors, but the names I've heard come up there, um, I mean, the one I've heard the most has been Fat Young, I'll say that. Um, yeah, I mean that, yeah,
2: that one's an obvious one, And but,
3: then yeah. the other names that have come up recently have been like, have been guards. So whether that means they want to sure up their rotation behind, uh, to have that, that third point guard spot behind cam and, and CP maybe, um, yeah. that's that, those have kind of been the names that have come up there.
2: Yeah, because it's it's hard for me to envision who is going to be available that would be better than Cameron Payne. And then also, do you really want to give up the amount of assets you need to to upgrade on Cameron Payne? There's still a guy who's not going to start for you, potentially. That's, yeah, it's, it's just, I'd be interested to see what they, they're going to do. Yeah, um, Sorry, who, who is the next team you're about to talk about, Brooklyn?
3: I was going to say Brooklyn, like they don't have too, too much to move either. They've got these two trade exceptions that everyone talks about. And, and depending on what day or who you talk to, like the, the, the availability of Nick Claxton seems to be pretty fluid. Um, You know, a lot of people on the league took them drafting Dayron sharp last year as kind of like a Claxton replacement before this big free agency he might uh, be facing. Um, And um, you know, they generally seem to be lacking defensively, especially around the rim, even though he might be their best rim protector, which is kind of ironic, but um, yeah. They I think the Nets, especially with this Kyrie part-time player situation, like I think the Nets know they're not the juggernaut that they were entering training camp. Um, so I think they they they're the most like the Bulls really only have Patrick Williams to to upgrade with. And someone I talked to there yesterday said no, that's a chip that we're not necessarily so eager to to put into the table. So um Miami and and, and Milwaukee have been have been largely quiet too, at least from from what I've heard.
2: Yeah, and Milwaukee obviously they're very limited in what what they can do. So is Brooklyn just for, from the Harden and Drew trades. So uh, now Milwaukee to me they are one of the teams that most does need an upgrade. We don't know what the Lopez situation is going to be with with him coming back. And I I think I would and yeah, I mean he may come back, but I wouldn't want to count on that. I wouldn't want to count on him playing at a, a really high level. And, and you're just watching what's happening in these games when they bring in, like, their third big right now is Sandra Mamukelevili. Yeah. You can't go into the playoffs with that. And maybe the, they feel they can get someone on the buyout market or whatever. Dante DiVincenzo is probably, back now from that. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry.
3: No, I'm just say, I think they, I mean, they open that roster spot with DeMarcus. Like, I think they probably expect to be able to get someone on that buyout situation, just like, you um, know, they just. Got back West Matthews on the cheap, but like, like I, I, I mean, they're, they're reigning champs. They've got Giannis. They've got three stars. Like I think they're confident they'll attract somebody.
2: Yeah, and, and now Divincenzo could potentially be traded. They got George Hill. They they could get up to you know maybe an eleven million dollar player or, or so, it, and that would they would have to take on more tax money, which they might be able, somewhat loath to do. And I don't necessarily see how they're going to pay Divincenzo. Going forward here, but whoever they bring back, they'd have to pay. They have to pay Bobby Portis. Like that's just what happens when you're at this level of team. But I do think that they, this is another team that like could absolutely win it this year. Their top three are among the best in basketball. But I just, I usually don't freak out about depth too much. But they just, they have no depth. It is really, and particularly at that big man position. I think if everyone is healthy, then they're probably okay. But you never want to count on that necessarily going to the playoffs. George Hill is disappointed a little bit too. So I'm. I think DiVincenzo is an interesting name, but it sounds like at least I know they love him there, that that's not something that you're hearing that he might be a, a piece they would send out to try to get more of a win now guy.
3: Yeah. I mean, I haven't heard it yet. It's certainly possible that comes up, yeah. you know, with the next person I call after we hang up, you know, um, but, <laughs> no, I think from everything I've heard, they really invested in it. I think also like to, not to be too crass, but him being hurt this last stretch has lowered his market value, right? Like it'll, it'll be, no, he'll be far less expensive to bring back for them than he would have been if he stayed healthy and helped them win the title. So, um, yeah, I I think he's someone that they would like to have in their long-term plans. Maybe there's more cap and they've been creative, you know, that P.J. Tucker deal they made last year, they've been creative on the edges, you know, to get Grayson Allen this summer. So uh, there's ways for them to to pay Dante without paying him too, too much and keep him in the fold. So, but it's possible. Like you said, he's there. He's their best chip. This is the time right now. I mean, Giannis mentioned it in that GQ article, and it, it was certainly a thing that I talked about with Octagon people when he signed that extension. Like, he's not nice. He's not – I don't want to – I mean, I don't think there's anything crazy to say. Like He's not guaranteed to ride out all those five years in Milwaukee, right? Like, the pressure's still on to keep surrounding him by sure. a contender. So, if moving Dante is the piece that opens their title window even more, like, they're going to have to be open to
2: him. Last question here. The Cleveland Cavaliers have come up a a fair amount. The idea of maybe trading Rubio, which was a a huge bummer for them to get a backcourt upgrade. I think if they would like to be a potential contender, you know, to solidify, number one, just being in the top six, and number two, to potentially challenge a team in, in a playoff series that they need more of a backcourt upgrade than just Rajon Rondo, who's a decent stopgap for now, So anything – your thoughts uh, and anything you might be hearing about Cleveland's mindset here?
3: Um, I think, you know, they've expressed a willingness to give a first-round pick and Ricky Rubio's salary or maybe even potentially Colin Saxton to go and get another guard piece to solidify that backcourt rotation. Um, But I don't think they're going to be too, too aggressive. I think kind of like Memphis – they're, they're kind of mirror images of each other a little bit. Um, I think Memphis is obviously a bit further along, but they, they both arrived ahead of schedule. They did it with patience and small moves on the margins. I don't think they're going to be jumping in to go get Jeremy Grant, for example, right now. I could be wrong. Like Maybe... maybe something happens in um, the next couple of weeks. But from from right now where things stand, the people I've talked to with the Cavs, I think they're looking for, you know, they're looking at Karis LeVert or, you know, maybe someone like Eric Gordon or Gary Harris or Terrence Ross, like those types of guys. I don't think they're going to be out here, you know, throwing Colin and Isaac Okoro to try to go get Jeremy Grant or someone, you know, of a top tier type type guy.
2: Gary Harris, I think, would be an interesting piece for them. I I would like that level of guy. You know, Ross, he provides the shooting, which is good, but then... Your defensive backcourt of Garland and Ross, that's not going to work in the playoffs. But Harris has quietly been playing pretty well for the Magic this year for the last (laughs) couple of months or, or so, always an injury risk, but he seems to have rediscovered some of his offensive aggressiveness, which is good. But to me, giving up a future first round pick with Rubio just doesn't seem like a great idea for where they are at right now because this is just their first year being good. Now, if you could get someone that you feel like is under contract for a while and could be a starter for you and you could trade a first round pick and Rubio then you know someone who's cuz to me it's for Cleveland it's all about being good 3 to 4 years from now this is their their first go go-round with this group and I wouldn't want to be giving up first round picks quite yet when I don't think it's going to I whoever they get I don't pick I'm not going to pick them to win a playoff series for sure this year so But at uh, their uh, But be- Memphis it's interesting you mentioned them to me they have three extra first round picks in the future and I think like they're 28 and 14 right now, right? Like they're on a 55 win pace. And also you could, they have enough extra picks where they wouldn't be at a pick deficit going forward. Some of these, they have some young players getting one more high level of starter in, in Memphis. I would be very seriously considering that particularly because I think job Morant and his play style, he may be closer to his peak than we expect. And I don't know how long he's going to be able to keep going I hate saying that because I love watching the guy, but there are a lot of Derrick Rose comparisons for both good and for ill Mm -hmm. with him. So I would actually, if I were Memphis, I'd be very seriously looking at pushing in for Jeremy Grant. I would even consider Miles Turner would be interesting. I would love to try to get Jalen Brown. I would trade, you know, basically everything that wasn't tied down to get Jalen Brown. Probably if I were yeah,
3: I think I think the Grizzlies will be patient this year, but yeah, I, I agree with you. Well, everything you just said is why I have my eye on them for this summer. They could really make a move. And, you know, I was telling someone with the Grizzlies this yesterday. You can squint if you're a Grizzlies executive coach, whoever, and look at your team and say, why are we not the Golden State Warriors in 2013, 2014? You know, like, I mean, am i am I here to say they're going to become a dynasty? But in terms of a young team that rocketed up to standings, made a quick, you know, splash to the second round, and then they just became a title contender, like the Grizzlies are legit. They play hard. Their defense travels everywhere. Taylor Jenkins is probably the front runner for coach of the year. I think right now, like this is not something I think to sit on your hands for too long when, you do have these opportunities, like you mentioned, with these picks to go and get a guy. So I don't think it'll happen now, but yeah, I think for if, for general NBA transaction fans out there, I would keep an eye trained onto the Grizzlies over the next you know nine months.
2: Well, and this is also interesting and maybe part of why I would recommend making the move now for them is they've got two of those three extra picks that they have. They have the Lakers twenty twenty two, and then they have. Uh, Utah's this year, and, the, and then they'll have their own. But none of those are amazing picks. But once you get to the draft, and you use all those, the trade value goes down quite a bit. You suffer from the driving yeah. the new car off the lot syndrome. And then the only extra pick they have going forward is Golden State's 2024 which is top four protected and maybe things could change in Golden State, but they're looking like they're going to at least be decent that year. So I think that, and then also, Hey, you're really good this year, right? You don't want to waste this year potentially to where you could at least win a playoff series. If not, maybe challenge one of those top three in the West, but, uh, all right, Jake, this has been awesome. Don't forget about the book Built to Lose as well, which you, is really enjoyable. It hits on a lot of interesting topics over the last decade in the NBA. And a read of stuff on Bleacher Report as well. Where can they keep up with your work on Twitter?
3: Yeah, at Jake L. Fisher, F-I-S-C-H-E-R. Thanks again for having me, man. And, and we should be getting busier here you know, ahead of the, the February 10th deadline. So uh, looking forward to talking more and more rumors coming
1: up. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary.